Hello everyone, welcome back to Nintendo Everything Refresh. This is the brand new podcast here on Nintendo Everything where we refresh your memory on what is just going on in the world of Nintendo. Uh, there's always something and uh, you know, you never know when the week starts how it's gonna go, but this week we, we got quite a bit to talk about. Uh, so let's just jump right in. Uh, but before we do so, we have got, as always, a very talented group of folks here from all over the world. We've got Dennis Gagliardato. Hello, hello. Dennis, did I say your name right? No, yeah, it was perfect. No, you got it perfect, oh. man, which is, like, great, because most people, like, they, it's almost like they have to go and, like, get a degree sometimes to say it. Like, <laughs> growing up, I swear, people have had, like, it's taken them months to, like, get it down. And I'm like, look, if you can just, like, see it phonetically, it's really not that big of a deal. I promise you. And, yeah, no, dude, you, you, you nailed it. Beautiful. <laughs> nailed it. We have also got Louise Estrella. Hey, everyone. And we've got Nicholas Shaday. Hey everyone, glad to be here. So let's kick things off uh, with this week we got a surprise trailer for Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes. Uh, this is the Musou uh, spin-off to Fire Emblem Three Houses. And it's, uh, it's kind of a Dynasty Warriors style game. Uh, it's coming out in June. And uh, I, I know some of, some of the folks here are, are Fire Emblem fans and are pretty excited about this. Um, Dennis, are, are you looking forward to this game? Yeah, very much. I mean, I'm just a fan of Musou games in general, and then I'm a fan of Fire Emblem, so, you know, put those two things together, and absolutely, I'm already in. Like, say less. Even if they never showed anything, I'd still, it'd still be a day one purchase. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, show me a logo like you did with Metroid Prime. Okay, no problem. I'm there. You know, so it's not, it's not anything I'm going to ask too much about. Um, but, yeah, I loved the initial uh, Fire Emblem Warriors, and uh, I know for a fact I'm going to love this one. It looks like they definitely, like, upped the budget like tenfold this time around compared to Fire Emblem Warriors um, the first time around. So, uh, but it'll be interesting for sure because since they're kind of doing the whole three houses thing, you know, they kind of have a source material there to work with versus Fire Emblem Warriors where it was just kind of like, all right, here's, you know, this sort of brand new story and we just have to find a way to sort of implement um, this cast of characters that has spanned now, what, over, well over 20 years, <laughs> you know, so. Something crazy. Uh, yeah. Um, so, but Three Houses was such a big hit that I know that this will immediately sell more than Fire Emblem Warriors. And, uh, yeah, I have no doubt people are going to love it, whether they're jumping in for the first time or they've just kind of been with the series for a while. And, um, yeah, no, I've, I've always loved Omega Force and the way they sort of handle, um, their sort of vision for Hack and Slash. Because, you know, there's plenty of developers out there that do Hack and Slash, but there's always been something special with the Musou games and the way they've handled the fluidity and the usually gigantic cast of characters, especially if we're talking Dynasty Warriors, which can span, you know, close to 200, if not more, sometimes. Right. Um, so, so yeah, Fire Emblem Warriors, you know, Three Houses, uh, this new one will be fantastic. I'm super stoked, super stoked. Yeah, although, I mean, I know, like, you know, the last kind of Dynasty Warriors-style game that uh, Nintendo put out, um, Age of Calamity, the Hyrule Warriors game, you know, That's that right. one didn't have a huge cast of characters. It was pretty much, uh, you know, just only characters from Breath of the Wild. So it wasn't a huge pool. I mean, maybe a little more than a dozen, I want to yeah. say, just off the top of my head. Yeah, um, that one was much more streamlined. And I think just to sort of, you know, you want to tailor it to that sort of narrative of being part of Breath of the Wild, right? So that made sense versus kind of a similar situation, right, where the initial Hyrule Warriors, you know, it was just like, all right, let's take these cast of characters and let's just go crazy with it with, you know, an original story service. as well. 
Yeah, exactly. That's a perfect yeah. way to put it. So, yeah, much more fan service. And uh, even some original characters um, as well, like Lana and, uh, God, what was the other one? The antagonist? Sia, Sia. I think. Sia, yeah. Sia, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, and they were fantastic. I, I loved them. So, um, yeah, so, so yeah, so it, it's always, there's pros and cons to it, right? Because when you have something that you want to base your game off of, you sort of have to follow that source material versus where you have creative freedom. So that's my only sort of, you know, gripe with, you know, uh, licensed uh, Musou games where it's like, ah, well, they're going to have to follow some sort of formula, right? To sort of uh, be sort of in line with uh, the overall structure of whatever property they're sort of adapting. So, um, yeah, well, and I, I think that's a great point because, uh, and Nicholas, I think, you know, as someone who is uh, currently playing through Xenoblade again, you might like this. Mm -hmm. uh, there are three story paths in this uh, Fire Emblem spinoff game. Uh, do you think you would play through all three story paths? Oh, God. Uh, don't put that <laughs> evil on me. <laughs> um, possibly. It seems like a lot, though. But um, personally, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to the game, especially after this new trailer, because it's giving me very strong Age of Calamity vibes in the sense that it really feels like they are adapting three houses specifically into a Musou style. Um, you can see in the trailer they added things like battalions and other three houses mechanics, and even from a story perspective, uh, not to spoil some, some things from the trailer, but it looks like there's going to be genuine plot twists and, like, a different plot interpretation in the game. It makes me very interested in it from just a, like, a story perspective, which is not something I was expecting from a Musou game. Right, well, and that, that does kind of echo what they did with Age of Calamity, which kind of played around with, you know, different versions of how the story could go. And, um, yeah, so I wonder if, if they're going to kind of continue that trend with this one. I hope they do, because I think, again, if you... For me personally, like, some of my least favorite Musou games are the ones that are almost a 1-1 conversion of what the original source material is, right? So I, I like when they sort of do take that sort of... Um, again, I'll use the term creative freedom, where they just kind of implement something new to make it at least be a little bit refreshing and at least give you something new to look forward to, right? Versus like, you know, you're playing the same game, but in a different sort of genre, if you will. So it's it's almost like, a, you know, I've been there, done that situation. And it's no different from, you know, just what a typical remake would be, right? Where like, for example, Final Fantasy VII Remake is uh, the first thing to come to mind, right? Where it's like, yeah, it's Final Fantasy VII, yeah, but you're, it, the way you play it, it's not as traditional turn-based as it originally was on PS1, right? So you have more freedom in, in that regard, and uh, uh, which is fine. But again, it, if you've played the original, it's one of those been there, done that situations. And me, yeah. I personally like, I always look forward to something mm -hmm. new and refreshing when I'm playing something. So that that's just me, though. Yeah, I think the thing that really drew me in, I mean, I am not a huge Fire Emblem fan yet. They are all like sitting on my 3DS, like waiting to be played. Um, I'm hoping to get to some of them sooner rather than later. Awakening is so What? I was just saying, like, play Awakening at least. I love Fire Emblem. Oh, Awakening. yeah. That game is fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's, well, it's and the thing that, like, yeah, I, I'm, it is on my to playlist in the very near future. Um, but. I am just always just so struck by just how great these games look, like even back on the 3DS. And man, like this trailer, like, like I don't know if this is Nintendo's magic at work here or if it's more Koei Tecmo, but like, man, I just think this game looks, looks great. 
it seems it's, like it's really pushing the switch. It's interesting because if I'm if I'm not mistaken, Koei Tecmo co-developed three houses, right? Yes. So they kind of have a, a hands on the original game. So it's interesting. Like like Nicholas said, it, it, it seems to be a similar approach uh, of Age of Calamity. And that they are bringing a lot of elements from the original game, including the, the 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 look of the engine and all of that. I'm really interested in the in the story because I don't know exactly if they already said how it's going to be, but it it seems to be kind of a retelling of the original story because there will there will be three different paths, and uh, you you seems to to kind of uh, repeat the, the the events of uh, going to the school and being with the, each one of the, the the three houses. So uh, I'm kind of interested to see how they will they will handle that. Uh, if there's going to be something similar to Age of Calamity with uh, time travel or something like that to justify the story. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, I mean, again, I, as someone who's not super familiar with the series, like, to me, it, it looked like it was going to be, just based on what I know about Three Houses, it almost looked like it was going to be more of a sequel. I, I didn't see anything in the trailer, at least, of the of the monastery from, like, Three Houses, for example. Like, I know they mentioned in the trailer that you'd be you, there was, like, a base camp you could explore, but that sounded like a distinction to me from the original game and its setting. So um, I'm wondering if maybe it takes place after, or I don't know. Maybe someone can enlighten uh, me. So the the idea is basically it's taking place um, at the start of Three Houses, but a different event has occurred, which has caused a, a character that was oh. not in Three Houses to survive. And they are now present, and they're the new main protagonist, basically. They're the purple-haired kid that showed up in the, uh, in yeah. the first trailer, and that's yeah. on the box art. And they're your new Got main protagonist, it. and they end up meeting the... Um, the three the three houses interesting <laughs> instead kind of uh, uh, alternate yeah. reality something like that yeah and so that leads to like a different scenario with uh i guess still a war <laughs> but not as much of a time skip and everyone has different designs and whatnot god i got it okay well i'm definitely excited to hear what y'all think uh when the game comes out in june um i think it's going to be something that definitely gets people switches uh booted back up for the summer um, we also got this last week uh, an announcement uh, for Bug Snacks. Uh, Bug Snacks was a PS5 exclusive for quite a while, and it was recently announced that the game is now coming to other consoles. It's coming to Nintendo Switch, and it is also coming to Xbox via Game Pass. Um, do you guys are you guys familiar with this game at all? I never I, n- I never played it. But I remember seeing it. It was kind of a weird game because it was a PS5 exclusive, I remember seeing. And uh, it was not the kind of game that would impress in the graphic department. So I, I, I thought it was kind of a weird game. And I, I never understood exactly how the game played. And uh, I think that's kind of the point. You, you don't know exactly what the game is before actually playing it. Because I would imagine it, it's a very different uh, a very different approach that the game take and uh, it's the kind of indie experience that I, I, I'm really interested in seeing and uh, I think it's a game that, that has no problem probably will have no problem running on, on Switch and seems to be a great addition. Yeah, it's it's a weird game. I, I beat this game. I got it through PlayStation Plus. It was like a t- it was like a free game through PlayStation Plus for a little while and uh, it's it's interesting. It's it's a first-person game, 
Um, it's 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 got a lot of puzzle solving elements, but it's also got a little like some light exploration. Um, it, it's really hard to categorize. I think the writing and just kind of the bizarre story is the thing that um, caught a lot of people off guard. Like it kind of starts as this whimsical kind of oh look all these island residents are turning into food, but then there's really just kind of weird dark undertones and. It just, it, it gets strange very, very quickly. So um, <laughs> it's, if you're looking for something weird, I definitely recommend checking it out. The other thing that I think is making this release notable is that it's including some of the, uh, there's, there's just some DLC release for it, which I think is why they're bringing it over now. Um, it basically takes a lot of the characters in the game and it's called the, the Isle of Big Snacks and it just makes things bigger. It's like, it's like how, how they like Dynamaxed the Pokemon, you know? <laughs> It's just, it's kind of like their version of that. Um, but yeah, it seems like there's there's some excitement for this um, online. I mean, one of the things that really was uh, getting people's attention for this game was just like the music and just how, how strange and surreal it is. So I think people will be in, in for a surprise. It'll be interesting to see just because I remember when the game came out, like, I mean, it was all I saw, especially like on Twitter for a while, like people were just talking about it. But again, it, it, you know, because it was a PS5 launch title, and as is with most, you know, newly released systems, uh, generations primarily, um, you know, th you, you don't get, you know, a, a gigantic library off the start unless you already have, you know, that backwards compatibility to play around with. But otherwise, yeah, Bug Snacks was what one of the first ones to come out out of like what maybe like four or five other ones, probably alongside, you know, Returnal and Ratchet and Clank, right? So, right. Um, so, you know, Bugsnax, of course, was naturally going to be one of the, the games that people sort of gravitated towards, especially as a free PS Plus title. So, uh, but I, you know, I heard a lot of good, good things about it, and um, I know it was definitely something that was considered very weird. I remember when the initial trailer came out, and I just saw it, and I was just like, this looks odd, man. I don't even know if I'm really going to like it. But, you know, with it coming out to Switch, obviously now it's going to reach a much larger audience, and it'll be available uh, via Xbox Game Pass as well once it releases. So um, I'll give it a try for sure, you know, through through that platform, and, um, you know, and then maybe <laughs> I'll give my, you know, a more... Uh, thorough sort of analysis uh you know in the next podcast so <laughs> just to see uh, just how, how weird things really are with that game so i would be curious to hear hear what you think yeah i think i think this is a good game pass game i i feel like that's i mean for the people who have the option it, it seems like where people are going to want to check it out it's just because it, it is kind of this like strange little indie game and and people i mean i love that don't get me wrong but you know that's also something that like if people aren't really sure what it is, it, it seems like it might be a harder sell to just buy it outright on Switch rather than just check yeah. it out on Game Pass if you have that option. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely one of those hit or miss situations where, like, you know, if you don't make a first a good first impression off the bat, uh, I don't think people are really going to take the time to really sit there and try to find that level of charm or fun uh, for a game that's already so unorthodox as Buzz, uh, as Bugsnax, you know, <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um yeah, fortunately, it's it's pretty much a known quantity at this point. So the people who, you know, the internet has had time to digest this game for the most part. So sure. um, shouldn't be too many crazy surprises overall. Um, but uh, um, speaking of um, surprises, um, something that uh, kind of came out of left field last week, uh, pretty big, big potential for being an interesting story. Um, through some job listings, it was revealed that Bandai Namco is being contracted by Nintendo 
uh, to produce some some kind of remake or remaster of an action game, and that is all we know. And it, it opens up a lot of interesting possibilities. Um, well, I was just gonna say like that's so weird because I'm trying to think of like Nintendo's catalog of you know older action titles and Nintendo. When I think of Nintendo in terms of genre, my initial thought immediately is platformer. I think that's kind of how they made their name is, you know, when they started was platforming, right? With Mario, with Kirby. And it just sort of, and Yoshi and, you know, and even like the Wario games and things like that. And, you know, they've dabbled in other stuff. Whenever I think of Nintendo games, I immediately think of like my, if there was one genre to sort of describe them, it would be platformers. So I'm just trying to think of something that would be considered action. But then again, Anything that, could be an action game. Like, that's exactly, such a vague right? term. Yeah, you know? that term has become so, like, flexible now. Yeah. And, like, that it, it could be anything. But my initial thought, honestly, is, you know, probably to, this, to the disdain of a lot of people, but I would personally love to see it, just to see a more modern take on it and a more refined version, would be Star Fox Adventures. But that's just... Oh. <laughs> that would be the most just... I mean, if that was what it was, I don't even know how how people would react to that. It would, <laughs> it would be, be like the strangest bizarre. thing. Like, I can think of, a, I can feel like I can think of like a dozen other games that people like would expect before that. Not that Star Fox Adventures wouldn't be like worth it or anything, but it's right. just, that would be crazy. <laughs> yeah, it'd well, be a bizarre move out of all the library to choose. Not like, in terms of bringing back Star Fox to bring it back through Adventures would be very odd. It would be odd. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah. to be fair, there was a bit of a sort of uh, you know, that beautiful time period of when you had essentially what was the best Star Fox game never made with Starlink, right? That was developed by Ubisoft and on the Switch primarily, yeah. you got you got to play a Star Fox and what a beautiful, fantastic game that was. I was addicted to that game for a while, man. It was fantastic. It was like Star Fox and No Man's Sky put together, right? It was like the most beautiful thing. Um, but, right. But, but, yeah, but again, be, you know, literally be, anything could be an action game. Like, you could make a true, case true. that Yoshi is an action game. Like, you you really could, you know. Nintendo, Nintendo he, usually... He's moving around, he's... Nintendo usually doesn't use the term platformer. They use action game. They consider Mario an actual game. Uh, yeah, that's true, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I saw a lot of people about uh, Bandai Namco listing... I saw people talking about Kid Icarus, maybe. Yes. I think that would be... I, I mean, the Kid Icarus on 3DS, for me, would be a perfect port for Switch. The game already runs beautifully on the 3DS, and the biggest issue is only the controls. So on Switch, in HD, with two analogs, it would be just perfect. And I think uh, Bandai Namco seems like a, a perfect name for a game like that. They are always working with Nintendo, and I think almost everything that Bandai Namco works with Nintendo, it comes out great. I mean, Smash or Pokémon, a lot of the works that they did together, it always comes out great. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see what, it, what this is about. Yeah, it's also worth pointing out that if it's Kid Icarus Uprising specifically, uh, Bandai Namco has worked with Sakurai in the past because of mm, Smash. Yeah. And Uprising is Sakurai's, like, game. He directed it. So it would also make sense on that front because they already have that little connection there. Yeah, it, it really is interesting when you think about how many, like, just little areas they've kind of dipped their toes into. It, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure um, the... Back when Metroid Prime 4 was delayed to God knows when, um, it was it was 
part of the discussion was that Bandai Namco may have been working on the game, and yeah. at least in some capacity, which is yeah. like such a huge IP to be trusting to what is an external company. So, I mean, it really could be anything. Right. That was the other speculation that I saw a lot, along with Uprising, was people wondering if maybe this was how we were going to get a Metroid Prime, um, like a Metroid Prime HD or Metroid Prime Trilogy remake or remaster on the Switch. Yeah. If it would come from this. Man, remember remember back like a couple years ago when there was all this there was this discourse on Twitter about how oh the Metroid Prime trilogy is done Nintendo's going to release it any day now they're just <laughs> waiting for the right opportunity and here we are. <laughs> more I think more recent rumors uh, were saying that it would be only the first Metroid Metroid Prime, yeah. but then I, oh, I, yeah. I would imagine it probably be like more of a remake. Like not only yes. a simple a simple remaster, so yeah, uh, it would be interesting to see that. Yeah, I think I think the rumors were something along the lines of uh, Bandai Namco is working on Prime Four. They tasked uh, Rare or sorry, not Rare. <laughs> they tasked Retro with working on uh, remakes of Prime One through Three, and then when Prime Four ran into development issues, they tasked uh, Retro with working on that instead, and then they ended up putting the uh, the remakes of the trilogy on the back burner and that instead got shifted into being a remake of only one because doing all three of them would take too much time or too many resources i believe but we'll just have to see how that pans out yeah yeah it's definitely the kind of thing where all we can do is really wait and see i mean it, it, clearly they're just now hiring for it that that doesn't necessarily mean it couldn't be right around the corner but it seems vague enough that it could be quite a ways away also so uh, yeah. we may not know for a while, but uh, I think it's the fun. listing was for HD background specifically, which doesn't really it's, <laughs> doesn't it's, really mean too much. In it's the it's it's uh, it's really weird that the listing mm -hmm. says that it is a, a a game with Nintendo. I mean, Nintendo probably isn't happy with this. <laughs> I don't know if they really uh, let Bandai Namco uh, uh, let the words out about a game that they are working together. That's probably wasn't supposed to 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 be. Uh, to let people know about it like that. Yeah, I, it is an interesting thing. I, it doesn't, it seems like it could have, I mean, for all we know, it could have been an error too. I mean, you just, you never know with these kinds of things. The people who make the job listings are not always the ones who are in the know about what's actually being made, you know? Um, but yeah, it is strange. You don't usually see them calling out specific partnerships like that. Um, and yeah, the point about having the, the, the wording of HD background is interesting because to me, like, you know, when I'm thinking about like how I would describe a video game, you know, if I were making something like that's a 3D game, I wouldn't necessarily describe the environment of like a 3D open world game as a, as a HD background. You know, like to me that mm -hmm. brings to mind like something that's more along the lines of like a side scroller. Um, or maybe something top down. I don't know. But um, Kid Icarus Uprising flying sections. <laughs> it could be. It, it, I, I got my fingers crossed, just like you do, Nicholas. Yeah, it's right, well, maybe maybe TD is referring to the job of uh, making an SD game to ATD. I don't know, like a remaster or a remake, something like that. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah, that's the word. true. It's possible. Hey, as long as it's better than the uh, Chrono Cross remake that we talked about uh, last week. <laughs> <in> the... Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> it's, 
Christopher. It's a low bar, low bar to clear, but I, I'm hoping they can do it. <laughs> well, it doesn't right. say Square or Enix on it, so I think we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's hope for the best with that. Um, <laughs> in, in other behind-the-scenes Nintendo news, slash maybe a little bit of speculation, uh, Nintendo also announced last week that they are building a new building. It is... Uh, it's called something like Nintendo uh, Research and Development Building 2 or something. It is a giant gray building that they are building right next to their old one and they might develop games in it? I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's kind of a, of an expansion. Uh, it's, it's really curious because it seems to be something really big. Like, we don't see that often Nintendo. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge building. And uh, I imagine uh, Furukawa said uh, not not a long time ago that they would uh, invest in developments in research, so that's that's a pretty obvious investment there. Something something that I found funny about Nintendo's building is that uh, Nintendo is that company like that make those colorful and fun products, and their buildings is like the most basic building. <laughs> possible <laughs> almost like a uh, like a, a a box a whole box with some windows I, I i mean i understand that they are trying to make the most uh i think like a utilitarian look to make just enough for their for them to work there but uh i found very interesting their design decision it's it's really funny when you compare them to like a, i saw something last week about uh, the gaming company Razer, they make a lot of like gaming peripherals and hardware, <laughs> yeah. and they have a new office opening up, and it looks like, it, it is this like stark like black and neon green building, the inside oh. is like <laughs> colored like an Alienware or a Razer like gaming laptop, Yeah, it's like... I don't know how, I, like, if you're in there, you probably feel like you're, like, on monster energy drinks all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow. some companies really, really invest in those uh, kind of thematic buildings. I mean, uh, here in Brazil, I work as an architect, so I can kind of understand... See, really? Uh, That's so cool. Yeah, I can kind of understand why Nintendo uses that uh, the building like that because inside it should be really easy to make all the divisions of the spaces and to make uh, the best use of it. So uh, sometimes it, it is the best solution if you want to make a, a building that really really does the job. Yeah, I, I, w I wonder if maybe they're trying to bring. You know, we were just talking about Bandai Namco. It seems to me, at least, like they've been doing a lot of outsourcing some of these games yeah. or parts of it to external studios. And I wonder if they're... It, it seems like maybe they're trying to regress a little bit back to why are we outsourcing a lot of this stuff when we can just be making it in-house? Hmm. Possibly. Yeah. I don't know. It's possible, but I, I like the sort of flair that outsourcing their stuff has sort of given their games, though. Um, because you don't have that sort of you know, typical Nintendo mindset that might end up giving something that not necessarily won't be fun. Like, it'll be great because it's Nintendo, obviously, but there is a certain sort of pattern and formula in how they develop their games um, that especially if it's one of their lesser titles, like let's just say it's a Mario spinoff game, right? Like, especially during the Wii U era, the Wii U era where you had stuff like uh, Ultra Ultra Smash, right? Mario Tennis Ultra Smash or Ultra Trash, as I called it, and uh, 
And it was just, you know, you have these very empty games and a lot of people, when you look at it, I'm personally excited for it, but when you look at the new Mario Strikers that's coming out, you know, I, I am a little worried with the lack of characters. Um, hopefully there's not a lack of stadiums. You know, I want that content to be there like day one. I don't want to hear that nonsense of like, you know, well, we're going to have deal free DLC. I don't care if it's paid yeah. or free. I want it day one. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to wait six months later down the line when I'm probably not going to be playing it anymore. You know what I mean? So um, the outsourcing, I don't think is such a bad thing. Plus, I think they can ramp up the production uh, much more in terms of, uh, you know, uh, what, what they're willing to offer um, on the on the system. Because when you think about Switch since 2017, I mean, it's it's insane how massive the library has grown from just Nintendo alone. You know, never mind just the library that Switch has just overall, but just from Nintendo's own personal output, they have just put out an insane amount of content, and which is in a stark contrast to Wii U, right? So, and I think right. that has been sort of helped dramatically uh, because of the aid of, you know, uh, third-party studios and just outsourcing that content, right? And just finally just swallowing your pride and be like, look, it's okay if you let someone else handle Star Fox or Mario, like in the case of Ubisoft, where they're doing Mario and Rabbids, right? So, um, or, or well, also in the case of Ubisoft, where they did, you know, Starlink. So, you know, just it'll be okay. It'll be okay. You know, Bandai helped with Smash Brothers Ultimate. Look how big of a success that was. You know, and then you know, we've heard the countless stories of Sakurai being like, "Look, without them, Smash Brothers Ultimate probably would not have been a thing." You know, right, um, right. So, you know, it's okay. It'll be okay. You can share the love, man. It's okay, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but, but like, but kind of going off of that, like, it, I just can't help but notice. I, I, I wonder, like, how many games is Nintendo making that are solely developed in-house at this point? Because, I mean, just thinking in recent memory, I mean, um, Fire Emblem is, has help from Bandai Namco. Mario Strikers is Next Level Games. Kirby was developed by HAL. You know, like, yeah. those have been their major releases so far just this year. Xenoblade I, is outsourced to Monolith Soft. Um, yeah. And then you have those second-party releases, like Astral Chain. <laughs> yeah, some well, companies yeah, are, are Nintendo yes. first-party, like Monolith Soft, Next Level Games. Next they are level technically... Uh, I, I'm not sure if they are inside Nintendo's building, but uh, they are, of course, they are Nintendo's. But, Monolith uh, might be. Um, I don't yeah. think Next Level Games is. Yeah, I think Monolith Soft, uh, like, parts of the team is, and other parts is not, so there, there's something yeah. like this. But um, what I think yeah, is no, that... Yeah, you're, you're right, they are, pretty, they are pretty integrated. Like, Monolith Soft is a Nintendo studio now, and um, Next Level Games I'm not sure about. Yeah. But. I think uh, the, the, the thing is, Nintendo's internal teams, like the one that makes Zelda, the one that makes uh, Animal Crossing, Splatoon... Uh, they they like to take their time. Uh, usually we see their games in like four or five years. The Mario team, Mario Odyssey. I mean, those games, they, they take a while to come out. Maybe Nintendo's just trying to, to expand their teams to make, uh, trying to be more efficient. Or, or, or just expand in general because they are making a lot of money and they have to make, <laughs> to make something with, with that money. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I'm happy to see that they are investing in game production. Uh, they, they, are, they are trying to, to make more games, to make better games. So it's just a kind of, of natural expansion for a company that is in, in a very positive position right now. 
Yeah, and then not only that, but you you have to think about the catalog of games or IP that they have that also still hasn't been touched, right? Yeah. Uh, probably the most popular one that we will never stop hearing about until it happens is F-Zero, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah. whereas, you know, the the Switch with the, the almost 100 million plus, you know, units they've sold at this point, if they haven't already sold that much, where it is, like, you know, there you go. There, there's a platform that has is finally successful with a series that could easily be revitalized, right? And plus, Wii U had a huge success with that one game that looked like F-Zero. Was it? it was called like Fast Fast Racing, something like that? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Wii U? Fast Racing Neo. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, so like Fast Racing Neo, right? And then that got ported over to the Switch not long after the Switch came out, if you know, if not soon after, like I want to say probably within a month or two. Yeah. And uh, that also sold very successfully on the Switch. So it's like clearly there's a market there, you know? And uh, and you look at just other racing games in general, you know, where, you know, Need for Speed is still pretty successful, right? Uh, Grid Legends just came out by EA. That's doing... Uh, big numbers in terms of uh, reception anyways i'm seeing a lot of nines and 9.5s for uh-huh. that you know like racing's not going anywhere man racing's always been fantastic and then of course the juggernaut of them all forza horizon 5 right now of course they're very they're all very different racing games and f-zero is very much like a you know here getting your sort of you know spaceship looking thing you know and then just you know go at three thousand miles an hour um but you know there's a market there and especially with how loud the fan base is, has been once it actually comes out and it happens, it's going to sell like crazy, man. It happened with Kingdom Hearts 3, where we didn't see that. What was the, the gap between that and Kingdom Hearts 2? Like 10, 15 years? A long time, <laughs> you know? So um, usually between every single Final Fantasy, those keep selling more and more and more. So again, it's just, you know, people are just bereft. <laughs> and they And they need another f-zero you know and i think it'll it'll work out great for them on the switch and now's the time to do it you know don't wait for the next system you know it's it's you can do it you can do it but again if they don't want to do it that's another thing that they could easily just outsource right just easily so Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and i did double check and yes as as we suspected nintendo did buy next level games in just last year i couldn't remember if it was them, them or someone else so um yeah. Well, hey, you know, at the end of the day, if it means more great games, I don't think anyone's going to be complaining about that. <laughs> yeah. True. One last thing I want to mention about the building, um, I'm not sure if you mentioned it, is that it is set to be, it is expected to be completed by December 2027. So it's going to be quite a while before we even see anything come out of this. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Place your bets now. Do you think we'll get it before we get Nintendo's next uh, console? F Zero. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think we'll definitely get another console before that building gets gets made. I mean, if anything, when you think about it, it's like, I mean, they're already putting an insane amount of resources into expanding uh, Super Nintendo World into Universal Studios in California, I believe, True. or Florida, one of those. Yeah. So, and then that'll be opened in 2023, I believe, right? So, um, and time for Mother about- 3 also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay. Do you think? Do you think we'll get Metroid Prime Four before uh, this new building is done? I'm not I sure. Th- I think so. The question we should all be asking. That might be a little risky. That's uh, yeah. not a guarantee. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, there's this little franchise you may or may not have heard of called Ace Attorney. Uh, it's it's had quite a few games at this point. Um, and last year we got the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles which uh, bundled together two, two games that had not yet been released in America. Uh, 
and that game, it was just announced last week, sold half a million copies. Uh, which to me doesn't sound like a lot, but uh, Nicholas, didn't you mention that this was this was better than they were expecting, right? Yeah, so I mean, this is coming from the, um, the Capcom leaks that happened a few years ago, um, which is, you know, not the best, but uh, from those documents, apparently expected lifetime sales for the game were, I think, roughly 310,000. So selling almost 200,000 more than that especially for a series as relatively niche as Ace Attorney is, is huge. Uh, and, I mean, hopefully it'll have a pretty decent impact on the rest of the series, because there's been a big, there's been a bit of a drought in terms of games. Uh, at this point, yeah. I think it's been six years since we've gotten the last new, or since we've gotten the last new mainline game, since we've gotten Spirit of Justice. Uh, and great... still waiting on Ace Attorney 7. We did get great Ace Attorney in the meantime, um, which is really nice. Those games are really good. I'm really glad that great Ace Attorney Chronicles sold as much as it did because it's fantastic. True. Uh, but I'm really hoping this is going to be, this is going to be the trigger. <laughs> like Capcom is going to see this and be like, wow, maybe this is worth investing into. Maybe, you know, we can port over the second like trilogy to the Switch. Maybe we can start developing 7. Maybe we can get Ace Attorney Investigations 2 <laughs> ported in the West. That would be great. I'm just hoping something something positive will come out of this. And I think it will because of those sales numbers. Yeah, I, I hope it sort of has its sort of Masha Hunter moment, right? Where Masha Hunter World just sold an insane amount, more than I think anyone anticipated. And uh, Monster Hunter has always had like a huge legacy and a sort of um, passionate following. But Monster Hunter World brought in people like anyone and everyone on every platform, right? So, um, and it, you know, some could argue that it's because, oh, well, they would finally went multi-platform, so it wasn't stuck on just a Nintendo system like it was before where it was on 3DS, right? And then, um, and then of course, you know, Wii U with 4 Ultimate. But, um, but Monster Hunter World just really helped explode that franchise and then you know we got a movie out of that later on and then i believe there's um you know there's plenty of manga monster hunter and manga and of course monster hunter stories right we got that monster hunter stories too we got that on switch um I mean, last year i believe um which was an incredible incredible game and um so yeah i i want ace attorney so bad to have its sort of monster hunter moment right of like all right Clearly, you know, outside of a passionate following, clearly we can reach even more people, and there's still very much a healthy future for this franchise. And you know, so let's let's just start ramping up production. You know, rather than just porting some of the older stuff, all right, let's start giving people the new stuff. You know, and um, just having all this great content. But it's it's weird to think about that too, because I always felt like Ace Attorney was popular, but I guess clearly maybe because I was always in that bubble, but I guess it was never really as popular as. I expect that just because when I think of Ace Attorney, I also think of not just the games, but expanding outside of that, where Ace Attorney, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney does have an anime, right? Two seasons, I believe, of an anime. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there's also uh, a manga and um, along with, you know, plenty of merchandise, uh, official merchandise I and think, stuff like I that. I think the series yeah. was more successful on the, on the GBA, on the DS during that initial era. But then over the years, similar to Professor Layton, over the years the series kind of lost its popularity. But it is still is a, a, a big name for, for, uh, for Capcom. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. Just, it's, it's, a, it's a visual novel, so it already has that yeah. kind of niche audience to it, so it's, True. it's a hard sell. 
Oh, I, I just yeah. want to make a, a comment. I made the huge mistake of watching the whole anime uh, instead of playing the game. And now I know the solution of all the mysteries. I guess it's a good way to get an abbreviated experience if you don't have the time to play through all the yeah, games. It is true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I just checked in, a, you know, the Ace Attorney series, as of September of last year, it has sold... Uh, almost 9 million copies between all of its games and ports and uh, re-releases. Which is not an insubstantial number, but yeah, I mean, you know, compared to something like Monster Hunter... A lot of it, games know, also. Right. Oh yeah, a lot, uh, yes, across like a lot of games. titles sure. or 11, I think. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I would love to see more Ace Attorney games. I, I do feel like... Part of its charm, I mean, I know this was originally, you know, a Game Boy series, but I think it really hit its popularity in the DS days. And at least to me, when I think of Ace Attorney, I always think of just the dual screen gameplay and, you know, the just the, the way they implemented that hardware just feels like a huge part of that franchise. It was like and perfect for the system. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, totally. And and. I mean, it doesn't seem like much was lost when they brought over Ace Attorney, the greatest Attorney Chronicles, to the Switch. So I don't think that's a reason for them to not make a new game. But um, yeah, there's got to be something going on that they're just like it's just hard for them to justify right now. Yeah, yeah it's it's kind of refreshing to see if the leaks are real, to see that Capcom had realistic expectations uh, for a for a remaster of a niche series. Because a lot of the time we see those companies releasing a game uh, with crazy expectations and then it's a niche series and it won't sell that well and they, oh, well, it didn't sell well, so we won't make more sequels. So it's nice to yeah. see that they had a, a realistic expectation for it. Yeah, it could, it could have been a lot worse for sure. It yeah. could have been like, oh, we set it so high and it didn't sell well, so now the whole series what? is canceled. It didn't sell 4 million copies in the first uh, week? The series is over. <laughs> Again, this is Capcom, so they're this they're realistic. This isn't Square Enix, <laughs> yeah. so where everything yeah. performs below expectations. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, no, it's ho hoping for the best for all those Ace Attorney fans out there. Um, all right, we got one one more big topic uh, to round out the show today, and uh, this one is not necessarily a, a huge part of the Switch's immediate future, but uh, Vicarious Visions, uh, who has been around a long time. Uh, they are now fully merged with Activision Blizzard, um, and you know this—it's comes at an interesting time because we actually have been seeing some output uh, in the last couple of years from Vicarious Visions on the Switch. We got uh, the Tony Hawk uh, Pro Skater One and Two remake back in 2020, and then we got the Crash Trilogy in 2017. Um, but before that, you know, I mean, they were mostly working on Skylanders and Guitar Hero, and uh, it's been a while since they put out something truly new. Um, so, I, how do you guys feel about this? I mean, I mean, do, do you think you know now that Activision Blizzard is owned by Microsoft, we might see a little bit more from them? Or um, there's so many mergers going on right now. I, I could see this going any number of ways. It's it's definitely hard to keep up with um, with all the mergers. Um, it's, it's interesting. It, it's interesting. I, I think, you know, they'll do, 
good um, under there. Hopefully they'll have more creative freedom to not do stuff that is, you know, licensed and whatnot. Because I'm looking through their sort of, uh, you know, developed games right now, and I'm seeing a bunch of what most people would consider, at least from their early work. A lot of people would probably consider this stuff shovelware, you know? Um, like, I'm, I'm just looking at stuff like, where is it? So, like, uh, like Barbie, Magic Genie Adventure, like, that, you know, God uh, Game Boy Classic. Color. All-time you know, classic. classic. Yeah, system yeah. sellers. Uh, the Wild Thornberries, Rambler, uh, Pro Darts, uh, Blues Clues, Blues Alphabet Book, oh, uh, Rescue man. Heroes, Fire Frenzy, uh, Monsters, Inc., uh, Kelly Cl uh, Club, Clubhouse Fan. Um, you know, it, it's just, and it, that's more or less what you start seeing, you know, at first. Uh, but then you start going down a little bit, and basically once 2003, hit then you start seeing some interesting stuff right where they did sort of dabble in the more just things that were more worthwhile uh for example um star wars jedi knight 2 jedi outcast right that's usually beloved by a lot of people um uh let me see here the uh, tony hawk's underground of course uh crash nitro cart um uh, jedi academy uh, but then, of course, it, it's weird because then they start going back into the shovelware for a little bit. Like they worked on a Shrek 2, as, uh -huh. as we all yeah. fondly remember. Of course. Um, the That's So Raven video game on Game Boy Advance. Uh, you know, that, oh, that's man. why I got my Game Boy Advance. I don't know about you guys. But, um, you, you know but, there's definitely some like hardcore collectors out there who are like, oh, yeah, I have every Vicarious Visions game. Yeah. Hell, <laughs> <laughs> Dennis. Full wall. You, you bad mouth. <laughs> Yeah, come on, man. Don't hate on, don't hate on Blues Clues, man. <laughs> but yeah, no, like, basically over the course of the last couple of years, though, then they've been sort of been taken a lot more seriously and their talents have been put to use. So, um, like you were saying, it, you know, just a lot of basically guitar heroes. So I'm seeing Aerosmith, World Tour, Guitar Hero 5, uh, Band Hero, uh, Modern Hits, Warriors of Rock, you know, and then you start seeing a bunch of Skylanders, right, since 2011 all the way to 2016, right? So yeah. Spiders Adventure, Cloud Patrol, Lost Islands, Battlegrounds, so on and so forth. Um, and then 2017, they helped out with Destiny 2 on Microsoft Windows, and of course they helped out with the Insane Trilogy as well, and then the Tony X Pro Skater 1 and 2, and most recently Diablo 2 Resurrected, so that's kind of their most recent work right there. So yeah, they've been you know they've been actually like you know putting their talents to use um but yeah it was a rough start from what i can tell and uh but i think it'll be good because again you know clearly just from basically post 2008 they're clearly a studio that knows what they're doing and is uh, a talented group of people so yeah. i think it'll be good uh not just for blizzard activision but also you know them acquiring acquiring uh, vicarious visions also means that by default microsoft gets that <laughs> right so right right um so that's just that's just going to expand their portfolio even more and with that microsoft money i mean anything's possible so who knows maybe they'll make something original and really showcase their talents in a way that we've never seen before yeah yeah, yeah. i i hope you know i mean i've been kind of following everything going on with all the drama around activision blizzard and i think you know regardless of how people feel about all that i think you know, my big concern is I just, just want to make sure that everyone, you know, who is involved in the merger is being, it, it hopefully it ends up being a positive thing for them with Microsoft's recent buyout. I think that's just my main takeaway from all this because they're no longer even being called Vicarious Visions. They're now Blizzard Albany. So, um, 
you know, I, I'm just hoping, you know, personally that this comes along with maybe some culture changes um, of course. with everything going on at Activision Blizzard. Um, and hopefully, you know, the, the teams that have been making these, frankly, just really solid remakes the past couple of years, I mean, I, I get the sense that now that Microsoft owns all this IP, they're probably going to want to do something with it. And, you know, if if the people who still made these games, even if they're, you know, being under relabeled as a new studio now, Blizzard Albany, if the people are still there, we could still potentially get um, more games along this line. I mean, there, there wasn't a huge, um, you know, like between the time that like Tony Hawk's, the pro skater, the remakes were announced and released, it wasn't a huge amount of time. You know, I feel like it was kind of a similar deal with the Crash trilogy. It wasn't a huge amount of time between when that game was announced and released. So, you know, they could be working on something right now. Um, you know, it's, they've been putting out games more and more often lately. So um, who knows? Maybe they have something in the pipeline. Yeah, with how messy the situation with Blizzard and Activision is at the moment, uh, it's kind of hard to know exactly what this means, what this will mean for the future. Uh, as Nick said, we expect that, that Microsoft will try to, to make things right in the company and to not abandon some of those those IPs like Tony Hawk, like Crash. I think a lot of people were kind of worried that maybe Activision would not develop more Crash games, more more of those car cartoon experience i don't think vicarious vision worked on crash 4 but i think they made the the crash remaster and crash 4 Correct. was toys for bob but um uh, it's interesting to see if microsoft will develop those more cartoony games from activision like spiral like crash to see if they will try to to maintain those those ips i mean the ips are not uh tied to the to the to vicarious vision so they can give to another public to, to another studio uh they can make whatever they want with it right yeah yeah i yeah i mean now that the ip is in microsoft's hands yeah anything is fair game for the most part but um yeah just an interesting development in the world of games you know anytime studios get merged into each other my personal opinion is i i i'm not always a huge fan of seeing all these studios get absorbed because i think i mean I mean, just Activision's output just in general over the past decade has just changed so dramatically. You know, we're, we're seeing less games from these smaller teams as they get absorbed into bigger studios. So personally, I'm just hoping that that's not something that uh, we lose uh, in the future. All right. Well, that about wraps up our show for the week. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much for tuning in. But before we go, uh, what has everyone been playing? Uh, or what is uh, what are you guys planning on playing uh, in the near future? Um I'll start. This has been a, a pretty busy week for me personally, so I haven't had a ton of time to just sit down with my Switch and play something, but uh, I, I've been getting back into Minecraft a little bit, which is not something I thought I would uh, be getting into anytime soon. I've um, got that spring sale going on right now, too. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, sometimes it, it hits me. I'm like, oh, man, I have this on my phone, and I've been working on this, like, just creative, just, like, world for like on and off, it's just been sitting on my phone for like probably a good four or five years at this point. And like when I'm sitting in line somewhere or I'm, I'm on a plane and my Switch is dead or whatever, I'll just like build a few things in this creative world. And um, it's a good like like head clearer, you know? <laughs> it is. It is. I, I've always loved, uh, well, not always, but like I've recently, anyways, in the last couple of years, sort of found a new appreciation for Minecraft. And 
there is something that is, especially when you play creatively, I mean, power to the people who, you know, want to play survival mode, but in terms of creative mode, there's something that is immensely cathartic about it. And it's easy to get lost, especially with the sort of serene music um, that, you know, really just kind of helps you not only calm down, but focus on whatever it is you're working on, whether you are just creating something entirely new or just kind of exploring at your own pace, you know, but with, you know, less repercussions because you're not in survival mode. So, um, but I've really grown to appreciate it over the years, especially, you know, playing online on personalized worlds, you know, via realms and whatnot and you know with friends and having those servers available to us you know where you know over the years we know we have all sort of moved away from where we initially grew up so it's it's a perfect place to sort of come back and and just hang out it's just such a great community game um whether you're doing something or not you know but it's a yeah i've just really fallen in love with it over the last couple of years and and like you nick I, I i also have it on my on my phone so occasionally i'll just you know open it up and you know check the store because they always have especially when they have like some sort of event you know they always they're always giving about uh giving away sort of you know free worlds or free oh, you know, yeah. skins and stuff like that so I, I like downloading all that and just seeing all the creativity that people are are uh, uh coming out with because um, then you know in turn being able to play those sort of specialized scenarios and worlds um you know sort of inspires me too you know and it, not just in minecraft but out of minecraft as well just that sort of creativity helps you know just get those the brain electricity just going <laughs> you know yeah. and uh yeah, yeah it's, no, it's, a wonder, it's a wonderful game that's a cool take yeah it's 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 definitely an interesting social space i've never really gotten super into that aspect of it you know for me it's very much just kind of a i, I almost like a meditative experience you know you're just sure, like oh sure. you know i'm gonna develop this little plot of land and i think i'll just build a little you know build a little store or something it's just a good, good little way to to de-stress at the end of a long day uh for me at least Absolutely. um Dennis, what have you been playing lately? So lately, two things. Um, uh, recently, we put up a review for Tormented Souls up at NintendoEverything.com. So um, the last you know week or so was definitely dedicated to that. Uh, Tormented Souls is definitely not going to be for everyone, but that doesn't mean it's a bad game. I actually really, really had a great time with it. Um, and but it's it's definitely something that's more catered towards people who grew up with survival horror uh in the late 90s and early 2000s right so we're talking about stuff like you know never mind stuff like resident evil silent hill but a big emphasis on when games heavily utilized fixed camera angles and tank controls right so right uh and a lot of those controls and sort of methods of uh, perspective don't really translate to a lot of people in this day and age i don't know why i mean i kind of get it to a degree there's definitely quality of life aspects to it but personally i mean you know i don't know i felt at home when i was playing it and because i'm such a big fan of the older resident evils especially i mean i've replayed you know resident evil 2 never mind the remake but the original resident evil 2 just so many times same thing with three and uh, you know zero and one i mean basically one through four i've played replayed so many times and 
It never bothers me. It never bothers me. Games like that, games like Parasite Eve, right? Games like Dino Crisis. Tank controls have never been a problem for me. So, it's but like, I know it's like sipping on a fine wine is what you're saying. It is, it's yeah, basically. Taste. It's definitely an acquired taste, yeah. Um, however, uh, the, they emphasize the tank controls, but you absolutely do not have to play with the tank controls. You can just use your left stick and have three a full 360 motion, so you're okay with that. Um, so, you know, to make it more palatable to, to, to people who might not be used to those sorts of games from, you know, way back when. But it's a, it's a beautiful love letter to, you know, the games that sort of started it all and created this juggernaut of a genre that has spanned just these multi-million dollar properties, right? Like Resident Evil, like Silent Hill, and stuff even beyond it um, that have seen cult following. Stuff like Haunting Grounds, right? Uh, Clock Tower, um, Alone in the Dark, uh, Rule of Rose, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on, right? So it's, yeah, it's just a wonderful, wonderful love letter, but it doesn't, it, it's not without fault, and it certainly has its frustrations, and I think that comes from it being almost a little bit too authentic, right? So, sure. uh, and yeah, primarily with how the saving system works, which is very much akin to how ink ribbons were, in Resident Evil, so but you use more like tapes this time around, but they are few and far between. So even when I'm holding on, even when I find a tape, even though I want to immediately save, I still try to see how much further I can go while holding on without having to save um, before I'm absolutely in a situation where I absolutely need to save because I don't want to lose all that progress, you know, if I die. Uh, and you will die. <laughs> so yeah, that's not um, a mechanic you see too often nowadays. That does sound no. like it could be either really good if it's your kind of thing, or it could definitely turn a lot of people off. Yeah, um, and of course, yeah. and I, yeah, I have a soft spot for it. So obviously, it worked out for me, and it was in I was in favor of the game, like from you know for the review. But again, it's not going to click with everyone. This is a very tailored and specific demographic. This game is going to be for. Um, but, you know, even if you want to try something new to sort of see what games were like back then, this is also a great place to be because it, ha it does have those enhanced controls um, and um, enhanced sort of mechanics that aren't going to be present in some older games like in the PS1 and Nintendo 64 era. Uh -huh. So... Um, so if you want to experience that without going completely all the way back in time, um, Tormented Souls might be a good place to start for uh, someone like that. It's, it's something like Tormented Souls or even Song of Horror. I would highly recommend Song of Horror as well. Um, Love uh, it. But yeah, but yeah. Awesome. In addition to that, uh, I've just been playing a lot of Judgment, <laughs> a lot of Judgment, which is uh, uh, another game created by uh, the good folks over at Ryu Gakutoku Studios. Uh, they're more famous, most famously known for uh, the Yakuza series. And uh, yeah, but just a whole whole lot of that, and I love that series, and I love that studio, and I love Sega, and I, I love everything about it. So yeah, yeah. I'll will definitely want to talk with you more about that uh, sometime in the near future because I sure. love those games too. Um, all right, uh, Louise, what have you been playing lately? So uh, like I said last week, I'm still playing Jedi Fallen Order. But I just remembered I also started playing with my girlfriend uh, It Takes Two for the first time. I was. Oh, yeah. I, I waited. Brilliant game. Brilliant. I, I waited for a long time for it to appear on, on Game Pass, and now we are finally starting to play. And uh, it is just a, a delight. Uh, it's a it's a fantastic game. Really, a a kind of multiplayer experience that I I never had before. Not the level design is nothing like 
totally new or crazy, but the way it ties everything to the story and and the, how fun every level with some different mechanic with uh, how they, they they make the the two characters interact with each other, uh, it's just it's really great. I think uh, so far I'm having a really good time with it. Yeah, I, how does uh, how does your girlfriend like it? Because it's so funny. I just played through that game recently with my partner as well and she's not a huge gamer but she fell in love with that game and and she she had a you know uh picked up the controls pretty easily and was was loving the the art and the and the gameplay itself and yeah i mean it's pretty accessible there's nothing crazy she she loved it but but she she's also she's also a big gamer so the uh, she didn't have any problems with playing it at all but uh both of us uh, are really enjoying the game it's it's a uh, it is just a, a kind of uh, an experience that it's really, really hard to see a game that goes like with a, a kind of a, a game that like that that would usually be a single player experience, but then you have this this experience all created specific for two people to play together from the beginning to end. It is just uh, really great. Yeah, no, it's I'm really glad that that game exists, and I really hope we see a lot more like that now that it takes yeah. two is out there because it, it feels like there could be a kind of a return to this idea of playing together on the TV. Um, I love seeing more of that. True. Uh, Nick, Nicholas, what about you? What, what have you been playing lately? So very surprisingly, uh, still playing Xenoblade 2. Um, <laughs> but other than that, because of Forgotten Land, uh, it kind of gave me the, uh, the itch to revisit some past Kirby games. And uh -huh. so because of that, I've been playing through Kirby Superstar with a friend through Nintendo Switch Online. And that's been a very interesting experience because it's it's really made me notice how different <laughs> those past games were from the more modern iterations. Um, even just from like a a physics standpoint, Kirby and uh, the the partner allies control very differently from what they would in even more modern 2D games like uh, Star, oh, sorry, yeah, Star, Star Allies or Planet Robot Triple Deluxe, the game in general is honestly quite a bit harder than some of the those more recent games. Things kill you much more easily. Um, I, I that remember, I like, remember that too. Yeah, it's it's a little. It definitely was a shock where you know you'll get hit like four or five times by an enemy, or you'll get hit like twice by by Gordo, and it's game over. <laughs> Yeah, Superstar was the first Kirby game that I played, and I do remember it being a very tight, very precise game that you, you really, like, you've, you've kind of got to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's also very interesting just because, um, like, you instead of having this one single campaign, you have all these disconnected, like, mini-campaigns that you end uh -huh. up putting together to get basically your full game, which is... It's a very odd style. Yeah, I always found it weird. I tried to play one time, and I, I didn't understand if I was playing the, the main campaign or if I was playing a, a side campaign, and, and yeah. then someone explained it to me. Was Superstar directed by Sakurai? Yet? It was. It was, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. Uh, if I recall, Sakurai directed uh, Kirby's Adventure and Superstar, and he came back for Superstar Ultra. Oh, okay, yeah. Got it, got it. Well, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, that's Kirby is definitely a, on the public's mind right now. <laughs> I've been kind of having a, an itch to go back and play some of those older games too. So, 
not like I have enough free time for that, but, you know, it's a nice thought. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that is our show for the week. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to listen to us ramble about video game and video game news for uh, a good solid hour. Uh, we will be back next week, and if you like the show, uh, feel free to let us know. Uh, drop us a comment. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Um, our email is in the show notes as well, so if you have any suggestions for the show or you have any topic ideas you want to s- submit, uh, you can reach out to us that way. We are also now on all these streaming platforms, so if you don't want to listen to us here on YouTube, you can also check us out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Audible, Stitcher, Overcast, I mean, you name it, we're, we're pretty much out there at this point. Um, but thank you all for your continued support, and we will be back next week with what is new and exciting in the world of Nintendo. See you guys later.